There we go. We good? Can you hear me now? All right, let me start over. You're going to love that flannel graph over the next couple weeks. We are, uh, we're going to be enjoying the narration and the animation, and so we dive into a little bit of the book of Acts, because we're going to be talking about church, uh, what church is, and we're going to get out of some stereotypes, and we're going to uh, rethink church, because I think that um, church can become just something that we do in the place that we go and we forget what it is that God had really intended for the church to be and the church to do. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to rethink the purpose of the church and our role in it. Um, and we'll be in the book of Acts for that. If you want to go ahead and flip and put your finger, we're going to be in Acts 2 uh, this week. But before we get there, um, just a few little things about church. Um, what is church? Um, that's a question that is asked a lot by people with degrees and people on the streets. And you can talk to people in fancy suits and they'll tell you that church is one thing. And you talk to people who are homeless and they'll tell you that because it could be a building or it could be the activities in the building or it could be about building his kingdom some of us have grown up in church, right? From the day we've been born, we've been in church. Uh, some of us have been moderately exposed to church. Here and there, they've been and come and gone. Some of us might have just joined the church. But either way, there's a, an idea that church is a, a cultural thing. There is something about church that we recognize, that it has significance on some level uh, in the lives of people. So for the next few weeks, we're going to explore the biblical understanding of church. What did Christ really intend for us to do? And who did he intend for us to be as a people after his own heart? Now, the book of Acts is a great jumping point because it chronicles the very first moments of the early church right after Jesus left the earth and sat with the Father in heaven. It talks about the obstacles of the early church. It talked about membership and fellowship and evangelism and persecution and church services and unity and the Holy Spirit and leadership and ministry and all the things that we would say are part of a church. It deals with those things. And if we're God's people, we need to visit the idea of church, the definition of church, so that we don't do cultural church. We do church as Christ intended us to do church. And so we must start with him. We must realize that nothing that we do here in this room comes to anything, any fruit, any productivity apart from Christ. Christ is the one who initiated the church. Christ is the one who gives strength to the church. He is the head, and we start with him. He came to earth, and he did ministry. He died for your sins on the cross, and um, he rose from, sin, or from death to conquer sin and Satan forever in the lives of anyone who would believe. Then he delegated ministry to his disciples. This was the very beginning steps of the church, right? He rose from death. He met with his disciples, had a picnic on the beach with them, talked with them, talked the scriptures over with them, and then said, now listen, I'm going to go be with the Father, and you guys get to now do the church. So he, uh, he explained a little bit about what that means, that the church would be his witnesses. We're familiar with that. Now, that was pretty much all he said, though. He said, listen, you guys are going to be my witnesses. And then he went right up to heaven, and the disciples were left going, now, wait a minute. We need more than that. What does that mean to be your witnesses? What are we supposed to do? Um, there were all these questions that were left unanswered. Jesus did not explain 
who was going to lead the church on earth. He didn't explain how it was going to be funded. He didn't explain if they had to wear suits or could they wear car hearts. He didn't ask, uh, he didn't set a time for services. Is it going to be morning or evening? Morning service and evening small groups. He didn't explain how to break that out. He didn't take sign-ups for who was going to teach the kids and who was going to teach the teens. He didn't explain if there was going to be Sabbath day specifically or if you could meet throughout the week. He didn't handle who was going to mow the lawns and fix the plumbing. He didn't talk about discipline. He didn't talk about legal counsel if the church got into trouble. He didn't explain if we needed to have a harp or drums. He didn't handle that issue. He didn't talk about managing numbers. What happens if there's more camels to park in the parking lot than there are parking spaces, right? He didn't handle that. He didn't say what color the carpet should be or what color the walls should be. Jesus didn't handle any of that. All he did was simply say, guess what, guys? Now you're my witnesses. Now you get to go do the ministry that I did. And while some of these things are important, like children's ministries and plumbing, to some extent, these things are important to the life of the church. They are not the reason for the church. They are not the church. The church is the people. Um, And so while some of those things are valid, they're not what Jesus said. The results of what Jesus said are those things. Having people in the building are the results of witnessing. Having um, children to minister to is a result of being a witness in your life. So the physical church, um, it could have the newest building, right? You could have the shiniest, coolest building on the face of the planet. You could have the most state-of-the-art technology. You could have great curriculum, wonderful meals, excellent teachers, the most awesome children's room with bouncy houses and everything. But, frankly, if the church isn't doing what Christ asked it to do, then none of that matters, and it's just an empty shell. We need to do what Jesus asked us to do. And Jesus said this, that we would be his witnesses, but that he would send us something to help us build the church. Jesus said that he would give us a helper, because if we try and build something of our own accord, it's not going to work, because we are merely people. But if God sends us the Holy Spirit and empowers us and the church through the Holy Spirit, great things will happen in the life of the church. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of the most beautiful demonstrations of the Holy Spirit in the life of the early church, um, which is Pentecost. It's this beautiful moment in the life of the church when God said, um, here's the Holy Spirit and it's going to fall upon you, and that Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be the church not to do things for doing things' sake, but empower you to live a life that's holy, empower you to share Christ with others, empower you to do ministry that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do. And so we're going to look at that this morning as it displayed itself in the early church. We're going to look at how that displays in our own lives and how it displays in the church that we gather at as a whole every week. But first, we need to look at the Spirit in Jesus' life because everything we do is based on Jesus' life. He is our hope and our joy and our, um, our salvation. And so if Jesus did it and said it, we should probably be doing it and saying it. Um, we need to know that Jesus relied heavily on the Holy Spirit. It was visible in several places in his life. Um, and these are just a few things in the way the Holy Spirit worked in Jesus' life. In the incarnation, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with Jesus He became this God-man because of the Holy Spirit's work, even from the very moment of conception. Now, 
He was present in the birth of Jesus. As Jesus grew, he grew in the knowledge and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. During the baptism, when he was baptized by John the Baptist in the water, the heavens opened up, Scripture says, and a voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my Son. I'm well pleased with Him. And the Spirit descended upon Jesus. And the Spirit also led Him into the wilderness when He was tempted. The Spirit led Him to the wilderness. Um, he was present in all of His ministries and miracles. The Holy Spirit was present in His death, in His resurrection, and in His glorification, seated at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit was always with Jesus, always working with Jesus. Jesus was always obedient to the Holy Spirit. We could stop the sermon there and say, Jesus lived like that, we should live like that. But there's more to the Holy Spirit because we have been promised the Holy Spirit and we can live like that and we want to look at that in detail. So if you will, flip to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses this morning. Get a little peek at what it, what it looked like on the day of Pentecost and what that meant for the early church, because this was revolutionary. This was something that these disciples had never experienced before in their life. They'd walked with Jesus. They'd seen him do great things. But for the first time in the life of these disciples, they were going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it would change their life forever. So if you'll stand with me, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and then we'll skip to verse 37 and read a little further. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. And so they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Um, How is it that we each hear them in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them each in our own language, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others mocked them and said, they're full of sweet wine. And now down to chapter 30, or verse 37, um, we step into the story here where Peter answered this, They're full of sweet wine with a sermon, the very first sermon of the early church. And it basically said, listen, this Jesus whom you're mocking, this Jesus whom you crucified, he died for your sins. Everything you've ever done, he died on the cross for. Forgiveness is now offered to you, and all that you need to do is repent and believe and be baptized. And they were struck to the heart. It says this, when they heard this, They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And so with many other words, he kept testifying and 
kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received the word that day were baptized, and that day were added 3,000 souls. This is the good news of the Lord this morning, is it not? Now, you may be seated. 3,000 people. Wow. Can you imagine? You're 120 people. You're in the room, Pentecost, you get the Holy Spirit, 120 people, manageable church size. Four hours later, 3,120 people. Where do you park? Okay, That next church service is massive. Suddenly, the church took on this new dynamic and they needed the Holy Spirit. They needed the Holy Spirit in their lives to help navigate the waters of what it meant to be the church. And so there's three things I want to look at this morning about the early church and the work of the Spirit during Pentecost. Um, Three things. The early disciples waited for the Holy Spirit. They were then filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the progression of Pentecost. First, they simply waited. Jesus said, listen... um, I've been with you. I've been crucified for your sins. I've risen from the dead. It's been great to hang out with you, but I must go to the Father in heaven. I must rule and reign from the right hand now, and now I must leave you again. But go and wait. Go to the upper room in this house in Jerusalem and wait, and I will send you the Holy Spirit. I will send you a helper. Now, they didn't know what that meant. They had no idea what was going to happen. All they knew is Jesus said, go and wait. And so they went and they waited, 120 of them, fasting, praying, worshiping, singing songs. I'm sure there were some of them that were nail biters in the corner going, how long should we wait? How long is this going to take? We experience that in our own lives, right? How long should I wait before I give up or lose heart? The disciples, they were obedient. They waited for the promise in the upper room just as Jesus had told them to. And then on that day, that moment, That promise was fulfilled. The promise was fulfilled and the Spirit came upon the believers in a mighty way. It wasn't a, do we have the Holy Spirit now? Was that tingling? Did someone get charged with static electricity and zap me? Um, Was that the Holy Spirit or was that not? No, it was clearly and definitively the Holy Spirit rushed upon them with such a great noise and force that everyone around the building wondered what was going on. The Holy Spirit came in such a way that you could not deny the presence of the Holy Spirit in that building. And this was a changing guard, so to speak. The Spirit was previously the guidance for Jesus, the source of strength and the source of power and wisdom for Jesus during his earthly ministry. It was how Jesus determined where to go next and how to minister next and who to speak to and the words to say And that was what Jesus had, and now the changing guard had occurred. Jesus, ruling and reigning from heaven, looks down upon the upper room and says, Now, Holy Spirit, you may go to the disciples and fill them and empower them the same way you did with me. Now, this power and the authority and the strength and the wisdom came to mankind. Jesus was the light of the world and said, Now you are the light of the world. And Jesus had the Holy Spirit with him, and now he gives the Holy Spirit as a gift two believers. So they waited for the Holy Spirit obediently, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them in power and gave them strength to minister as the church. And it empowered them. They were witnesses. They spoke their story boldly in many languages. Um, this This is just God's providence, right? That where they were in Jerusalem and the time of year that it was, Jerusalem was this 
trade route. So all these major, any, any person who is trading any spice, any metal, any anything, camels, you name it, would go through Jerusalem. And it was a festival season. And so the city was just packed to the gills with people from all over the known world. Is that funny that God would choose to do something great for his kingdom at that point in time in history when everyone from all over the known world was there and present? And then he gave the the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit enabled people to speak in all of those languages from all of those countries so that the gospel could be heard by a representative from every nation that they could be saved, 3,000 of them, and then go back to their nations and be witnesses filled with the Holy Spirit in their own country. That's how God works, folks. That's how God multiplies His church. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the power of the Holy Spirit and God's timing and our obedience. So, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, Peter preached this wonderful sermon. If you've never read it, chapter 2, verse 14 through 36. Stunning sermon. Um, And uh, he doesn't mince words with the gospel in this. He preaches it straight up. Jesus died for your sins. And you helped crucify him. You need to repent of that. That's the good gospel right there. Um, So suddenly, preaching this message, the church, not a building, not an organization, the body of Christ went from 120 people to 3,120 people because of the Holy Spirit. Not because of those disciples on their own. Not because they had fancy words of their own. But because Jesus Christ was being preached under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is life-changing. That is what church is about. Now, I want to take a moment, um, and it's great when we talk about the Holy Spirit, but I want to understand the Holy Spirit together a little bit. So we're going to do a theology lesson. Um, Bear with me here. It's a lot of stuff, but I will put it online. So if you take notes, um, you can jot down as fast as you want, but know that what I say in this section will be posted online for you uh, by tomorrow so that you can go look and study um, on your own time. What I want you to know about the Holy Spirit, and this list is not exhaustive, um, but it's not short, okay, uh, is, is for your study and for your pleasure so that you know who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit um, is a person in the Trinity. As Christians, we believe in the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit. They are co-equal and co-eternal. One God that we worship in three persons. So what we need to know is that because the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, that He is God, we need to know that He is eternal. He existed before the beginning of the world and He will exist after the end of the world. He helped create the world. He is omnipotent. He knows everything. He's God. Okay? There is nothing that escapes the Holy Spirit. He is omnipresent. He's with you all the time, everywhere you go. Can't get away from him. Um, The Jesus Storybook Bible that I read to my daughter every night talks about Jonah, her favorite story in the Bible. And Jonah tries to run away from God, but it says, that's a silly plan because you can't run away from God. You know, you can't get away from the Holy Spirit. He's with you. He's also co-equal with God, meaning that he has all of the authority that God the Father and Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit has, and He should be treated as such. He's a creator God. He helped the world come into order. He also resurrects. This is a beautiful thing that God gets to do. And that is who the Holy Spirit is in the person 
of the Trinity. And we need to recognize this, and I was convicted of this a year or two ago. Sometimes I treat the Holy Spirit like a tool in a tool bag. Um, I pray to Jesus a lot. I, I pray to the Father a lot. Um, but I forget that the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and with the Son. And sometimes I ask, God, could you reach into your tool bag and send the Holy Spirit? Could you use the Holy Spirit here? And I forget that the Holy Spirit is a He. He is part of the Trinity. He is a Godhead in the Trinity. He deserves honor and respect, not to be treated in our prayer life like a tool that God just uses to fix things. But the Holy Spirit should be honored and revered as God because He is. And so... That was something the Lord convicted of me a few years back and is revolutionizing my prayer life as I think I can pray in the Holy Spirit. I can pray to the Holy Spirit. He is God and He hears me. Something else we need to know about the Spirit is the things that He does because He is active, right? He's not, he's not just sitting there like a lump, okay? The Holy Spirit is constantly moving, constantly encouraging us, constantly working in the life of the church and here's the things that we need to know, and here's just a short list, and I'll read you the longer list. The Holy Spirit gives us access to God. He anoints us for service. He assures us that we have salvation in Christ. He authored Scripture. He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Believers are born in and of the Holy Spirit. He calls and commissions you to a life after God and a life of service. He cleanses you of your sin he convicts you of that sin. He creates new life in you. He empowers you to do things you couldn't do on your own. He fills you so that you are overflowing continually. He gives you gifts to use for the glorification of Christ and the growth of the church. He guides you in truth. Don't know what to do? Holy Spirit does. He helps you when you're weak. He's strength that you can rely on. He lives inside of you. Fancy word for that. He indwells you. And get this. God lives in you if you trust in Jesus. He inspires prayer in your life. He intercedes for you when you don't know what to say and life is tough and hard and things are not going your way and you have no idea how to even begin vocalizing your life. Holy Spirit does, and so you just bring that before God, and the Holy Spirit says, I will translate that for you, and I will take that to Jesus. Rest assured, it is heard loud and clear. He interprets Scripture so that when you're reading the Word of God, and you read the words, and you suddenly go, oh, that's what that means for my life? That's how I apply it? That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. He leads you day by day like He led Jesus he liberates you. That's a good thing, right? He frees you from the bondage of sin. He molds your character so that over time, as you are walking in Christ with the Holy Spirit, He's molding your character to look just like Christ so that those sins that you're struggling with, the mud that you've been walking knee-deep in, suddenly it's a little easier to step out of because you are becoming more like Christ through the Holy Spirit. He's molding your character he produces fruit in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And these are not the worldly versions of these things. This is not a selfish love. I will manipulate you to get what I want so I'm comfortable. This is a love that is a demonstrated preference 
for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense, by the help of God's Holy Spirit. That's godly love. That's the love of the gift of the Spirit that He gives you and peace that surpasses all understanding and joy, no matter your circumstances. If you don't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, if you are lacking a majority of those or all of those in your life, then I would say to you boldly this morning, you are lacking the Holy Spirit in your life. And which means you are lacking Jesus in your life, which means you need Jesus this morning. So you use that list as a little um, checklist. If you don't have those things, you need to get with Jesus this morning. The Holy Spirit also empowers believers, empowers them to do great ministry. He raises from the dead. So he raised Jesus from the dead. He will raise us from the dead one day. Um, The hope that we have in Christ is that we believe on him who died on the cross for our sins. He rose again so that we would have eternal life, that one day when we die, when we shuffle off this mortal coil, when this body ceases to exist, the very last breath we take here is the first breath we take in heaven. And that's our eternal hope. He raises us from the dead, not to this physical life, but to a better one, a better life we can't even begin to imagine And He does that. He regenerates us too. He does something new in our life continually. He sanctifies us. Fancy word meaning He helps us choose life and not death. He helps us choose holiness and not sin over and over and over again. And He seals us, meaning, listen, you belong to God. Holy Spirit says, listen, you are a child of God. I want you to know that and be assured of that. And He strengthens you when things are tough. He's that right hand underneath your back that says, keep moving forward. I'm with you. Things are tough, but I'm here. I'll strengthen you. He teaches you the way that God wants you to go. He gives you a testimony of Jesus in your life. He reminds you of Jesus continually. He gives you victory over flesh. When you're at a crossroads and you can say, should I sin? Should I not sin? I want to sin, I shouldn't sin. When you're in that moment of crossroads, how little or how small that sin is, the Holy Spirit says, I want to give you victory in that area. I want to give you victory through that area. I might not take the circumstance away. I might not take the choice away, but I will enable you to walk the righteous path. Lastly, the Holy Spirit helps you worship. No matter what your circumstances are, the Holy Spirit helps you say, I love you, God, and I just want to praise you for what's going on in my life, even if it's bad. I know that you are with me and working things out, and I'll trust that. Have you guys ever just stopped and looked at the list of the things the Holy Spirit does in you and for you and around you? It's immense. We could stop the sermon there. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. He does so much in our lives, right? But there's more, because this is the general work of the Holy Spirit. We saw it in Pentecost. He did a lot of these things on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got to experience a whole lot of this. But he does that today, too. Um, The Holy Spirit is God, is active, worked with Jesus, worked at Pentecost. Um, All of these things that the Holy Spirit is said to do in the Bible, he does those today. He does those in your life. This isn't the Holy Spirit of old. This is the Holy Spirit who still does these things, who still wants to speak in your life. So we need to look at our own lives and our own church and think, 
Are we living life in the Holy Spirit? Are we the church empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life with all of these blessings and all of these strengths and all of these gifts and powers? Not because, you know, we want to be superheroes, because that's not what it's about, but because if we have the Holy Spirit, we should give it out. If we have the Holy Spirit, we need to share it. If we have the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything but that, because that's the Holy Spirit crying out in us, right? So, let's look at this. Today, we need to be obedient to the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We will be empowered by the Spirit. That looks a lot like Pentecost, does it not? Maybe we need our own little Pentecost in our lives. Maybe we need our own little Pentecost in this church. Maybe we need a Pentecost in this city to fall upon the 7,000 people that need the Holy Spirit and Jesus. You know, the first disciples were obedient to Christ. He said, go and wait. And they did. They didn't know how long. Just not many days from now is what they knew. How long are you willing to wait before doubt creeps in in your own life? That's just a little question for your little mind and heart. When God says wait in your life, because God's a father, and a father has a right when you ask him something to say yes, no, or later. When he says wait, How long are you willing to wait for God's will to be worked out in your life? It took the disciples 10 days. It might take God 15 years for you. I don't know, depending on the circumstances. I would encourage you to be obedient to the Spirit, not step out before God, but to wait for the Spirit to step out with you and then run with Him as far as He will take you. Since the days of Pentecost, has the whole church ever just set aside every other work and waited on Him for ten days that the Holy Spirit's power might be manifested? Sometimes we give too much authority to method and machinery and resources and doing and too little authority to the source of the power which exudes from the Holy Spirit. What would happen if this church, this body of believers in this room said, We're going to do it. We're going to pray for 10 days. It's not going to be a fancy prayer meeting. We're not going to come and meet at 4.30 in the morning. And and we're not going to do it all together necessarily. But each believer, in their own time, each day, setting aside moments with the Lord, praying for the Holy Spirit's revival in their life, praying for the Holy Spirit's revival in the church, praying for the Holy Spirit's revival of this city, what would happen if we... 50 people prayed like that for 10 days. Fervently prayed for 10 days. What would God do in our lives? If nothing else, just in our own heart, right? But if something great, that He would descend upon this church and descend upon this city in a way that people would hear a rushing wind and go, what was that? It's the Holy Spirit. That's its work in the lives of those people. I've got to see what that's about. And they would come and they would hear us speak of Jesus and they would repent and be baptized and a revolution would start in our city because of obedience to the Spirit. The Scripture says that the Spirit calls you and the Spirit commissions you for work. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Jot this down in your notes. To what or to whom has the Spirit commissioned you? If you are a believer in Christ and you live according to the Holy Spirit, You do not just get to sit and enjoy that to yourself. 
If you live in the Spirit, then you have been called and commissioned to do something for the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were called to the ends of the earth, right? They went to the ends of the earth. They scattered and they took the message. Fill in the blank in your heart and mind this morning. I am called to... If you can't answer that question, you need to pray. If you can't answer that question, you might need to be saved. If you can't answer that question, you might need to rededicate your life this morning so that you can be infused with the Holy Spirit and know what it is He has for your life. The Holy Spirit does not need to equip you for what you're not going to do. If you're in rebellion against Jesus, refusing His right to be Lord over your life, He does not need to send the Holy Spirit to equip you for service. Tragically, then, you miss out on the joy that that brings. So I would say, let the Holy Spirit deal with anything that's keeping you from Christ this morning. You can't fix your problems, but the Holy Spirit can come and work in them and help you come to Christ. God does not welcome people into His body without giving them a purpose. He says, come as you are, broken, come as you are, handicapped, come as you are in any way, shape, or form, spiritually, physically, mentally, it doesn't matter, just come. Come and see what this life in Christ is about. And then from there, God will work with you. From there, God will bring you healing. From there, God will restore your heart and your mind. The Spirit calls you, we know. The Spirit regenerates your heart, we know. The Spirit lives in you, this we know, and grants you gifts so that you can serve. Are you being obedient to the Spirit this morning? There's a lot involved with that, but don't worry. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. Are you being filled with the Spirit? The believers at Pentecost were filled with the Spirit. Scripture says that the moment that you say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, I love you and I trust you and I want to follow you every day, the moment that you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The Holy Spirit lives within you in a way that you'll never begin to imagine. He gives you a new nature and, man, that's good. But that even though you've been saved, you can and should continually ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We all need more Holy Spirit. Um, Perhaps you've um, grieved the Spirit with sin recently. Little sin or big sin doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Um, Perhaps you've not spent time in communion with God by reading the Word and in prayer and in fellowship with other believers. Um, In times that you've stepped away from God, know that the Spirit has not stepped away from you, but that you've stopped listening. And so you can come to God and say, Father, I need more of your Spirit. Now, it's okay to be greedy in this area. I want more of your Spirit, Father. I need more of your strength. I need more of your wisdom. I need more of you. Come join me, please. I guarantee He's not going to say no. He wants to be in you. He wants to be with you. He wants to love you and encourage you to be more like His Son because He knows that's the best possible outcome for your life. And then, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit you will be empowered by it. It's the natural progression. You can't be filled with it and not empowered by it. You are filled with it, so you are empowered by it. Um, And out of that, you will overflow. The work of the Spirit at Pentecost started in a room and overflowed to 3,000 in one day. It continued from there and gained momentum. And 2,000 years later, roughly, here we are. A body of believers before God, worshiping in and with the same Holy Spirit that descended on the initial believers at Pentecost. It's the same Holy Spirit that initiated conversion in 3,000 people. 
Jesus said in John 14 that He would send the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And with the Holy Spirit, the disciples would do the things that Jesus did and even greater things. Does that resonate as like a smack in the face? What did Jesus just say? Think for a moment about what that says. Jesus said this, The things that you have seen me done, you will do and even greater things. Jesus did a lot of great things, did he not? You will do even greater things with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm a Pentecostal with a seatbelt on in this moment. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Jesus healed people from the sick. And I believe that Jesus served people when it was difficult to serve people. I believe that Jesus touched leprosy. And as a man, there's a little fear in that, okay? I believe that Jesus loved people when it cost Him dearly. I believe that Jesus taught things, hard things, told people things that were difficult to hear, but He did it in love. I believe that Jesus was sacrificial every moment of His life, even to His last breath. I believe that Jesus received wisdom from the Spirit of God. I believe that Jesus resisted temptation. I believe that Jesus forgave His enemies, even the worst of the enemies. And yet, in all of that, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will do greater things than me. Which means, at its very base level, we have the ability to pray in the Holy Spirit for people to be healed of physical illness, of mental illness, of broken relationships. That in the Holy Spirit, we can serve people even when it's difficult, when it's out of our comfort zone, when we aren't sure about dealing with this people group or that people group or that person. We're not sure about that because it's uncomfortable for us. The Holy Spirit enables us to minister in those ways that we can love sacrificially as Jesus loved because the Holy Spirit is in us. That we can gain wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And what it means to do greater things than Jesus, I I don't even know what that means. To me, Jesus is the greatest and the be-all, end-all and the most awesome. But when Jesus says, you will do even greater things, I want to say, yeah, I believe that. It's not just that I believe every other word in the Bible, but that verse that says, you will do greater things. I believe that in the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is equipped to do greater things because we are helping bring the kingdom about for Christ on this earth. And we can do greater things if we just say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to be filled with you and I'm going to let you lead me to be empowered by your nature and your will. I don't know what that looks like in your life specifically, but I know what it looks like in the life of the church. And so here we go. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So this morning it's a call to action, a call to response, um, a call to submission. Because this morning you can receive the Holy Spirit. For the first time you can believe and receive the Holy Spirit. Or you could receive the Holy Spirit as an anointing again upon your life, as a filling, empowering you to live according to the Spirit and not the flesh empowering you to do good works, to produce fruit for the kingdom, empowering you to witness, empowering you to overcome that sin that has just plagued you, empowering you to worship God freely 
But none of that is you alone. That is God within you. Live out your calling in the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered Christ. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be with you. Pray that God pours out His Holy Spirit among us in such a way that we are on fire like the original disciples were, that we prefer others over ourselves, that we love with the strength and gentleness of Christ, that we speak with truth and grace and love, and that we offer the Spirit to others as we witness to others. When you strip it of everything else, Pentecost stands for life and power. That's what empowered the church when the Holy Spirit came down. The church is powered and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Apart from Him, nothing we do will bear fruit. Apart from Him, no ministry, no service, no prayer, no building, nothing will cause people to love Jesus. The Holy Spirit is vital to the life of the church. It is what powers the church, and it is what powers every believer in the church. Do you need more Holy Spirit this morning? Yeah, I'm seeing some nods. I think that's appropriate. The answer is yes. We all need more Holy Spirit. Does Ketchikan need more Holy Spirit this morning? Yes. Does the world need more Holy Spirit this morning? Yes. So, we get to start, just like the disciples did, right here and right now, in a room that's no more special than any other room in this city. We start right here and right now, on our knees. Rethinking church because it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Him and obedience to Him. I want to close with a quote from Martin Luther, one of my favorite theological historians. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge in God's grace makes you happy and joyful and bold in your relationship to God and other creatures. The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. Because of it, you freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone, serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love and praise the God who has shown you such grace through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ, let's take a moment and pray. Father, Lord, we're thankful this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. Thank you for hearing our prayers and interceding in our lives. And Lord, I can't help but believe that you're working on the lives of every single person in this room. Because you are a good shepherd and you don't leave any sheep astray. You continually call after sheep, call them back to your fold and protect them. You bind wounds and you heal. And Father, I know that you're doing that today through the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I would ask a simple question. I would say, work. Work and make it known, Father. Would you make it known to us that you are alive and active so that we can draw strength and comfort from you? so that we can walk in boldness as we see You work in our lives and the lives around us. And so with heads bowed and eyes shut, 
if the Lord is working on you this morning, in some way, shape, or form, between you and God, you need Jesus for the first time. You need that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. You need help with life, and Jesus is the only way. Would you stick your arm in the air so that I know and can pray for you? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. And if you need a bucket of the Holy Spirit dumped on you this morning for a fresh anointing, for strength, for encouragement, for peace, would you raise your hand so that I can pray for you in that as well? Thank you, yes. Thank you. See your hand. Lord, oh, I love to watch you work. It's so much better than anything I could ever hope for in my own hands. Your hands are bigger and stronger and more wise and more skilled. Lord, do your work in our hearts this morning. Work in our lives so that we can be a testimony to you of lives rebuilt and hearts rebuilt. Thank you for the salvations this morning that you have worked out according to your power and your glory. And we give you all the praise and glory for it, Father. We look forward to baptisms. We look forward to new members in this church and fellowship and friendship. Lord, thank you. Continue to work. And when we forget, Father, when we forget about you and about your work in our lives, would you remind us in whatever means necessary to get our attention? Would you do it in love and in gentleness, but with strength, so that, Lord, we never stop following you? Thank you. Thank you, Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I know that the Lord is working among us this morning. I know that he's doing business with some of our hearts, and it's good business. So I would say this. The benediction is that the Holy Spirit is with you. He empowers you to live a life free of sin and a life of ministry for the King. So go and live that way. And when you don't know what to do, he does. And if the Lord is keeping you here this morning to pray, I would say respect those that are seated and praying. And if you are fellowshipping, go and fellowship in the Spirit, but do it in the hallway so that those that need to pray and seek the Spirit can do so. Go in peace and in the power of the Holy Spirit this weekend. Amen.